Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power, and here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Greetings and a warm welcome to the program. Colin and I are glad you can join us again today as we study 50 days prayers and devotionals to prepare for the latter rain and Christ's return, book written by Pastor Dennis Smith. Now, the previous programs, we covered quite a few topics that relate to prayer and the importance of prayer, but we're starting a new uh, set of, uh, of programs at the moment. It's still part of the devotional, but it now is going to deal of this beautiful topic of righteousness by faith, Christ our righteousness. And today we're basically going to do some introduction to, to righteousness by faith, and then in the subsequent weeks we'll be looking to unpack that a little bit further as the programs go to air. But just before we start, will you please join us as we just bow before God in prayer. Father in heaven, what a beautiful topic we have to study now uh, in the next few programs the message of righteousness by faith or justification by faith and faith in Jesus Christ and his merits. And, Father, as we start looking at the Bible and start unpacking us, give us wisdom and understanding. May we get the fundamentals of salvation correct as we search the Scriptures. May the Spirit of truth bless us, abide with us, and may we receive a fresh anointing of your Spirit to lead us into all truth. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so Colin, I'm looking forward to uh, to unpacking this a little bit more. We're looking at an introduction. This is day 25 of Righteousness by Faith. And uh, look, there are some beautiful texts we're going to look at uh, today. There certainly is. Uh, righteousness by Faith. This has been an incredible Martin Luther discovered yes. justification by faith. Mm. And what an incredible uh, revelation of God's word it was for him, where it freed him from the burden where Martin Luther was always, you know, back then the monks would have to whip themselves mm. and hurt themselves and say penance to try and amend for their sins. And the beautiful discovery of righteous by faith and uh, the justification by faith aspect yes. of righteous by faith. And so we want to unpack what is righteous by faith, okay, and what is sin. We also want to look at what sin well, is. Well, you've got to understand what sin is if you want to really understand the, the remedy for sin. That's exactly because right. Christ and his righteousness. So, yeah. first of all, what is the word, what would you say the word righteousness means? Okay, well, I sometimes break it down to something simple. Righteousness is right doing. But if you want to know what righteousness is according to the Bible, there's a couple of texts that come to mind. Um, Psalms 119 verses 172 where it says, All thy commandments are righteousness. So God's law is righteous. They are the principles of righteousness. Yeah. Okay. Righteousness is actually self-sacrificing love or unselfish love. Mm. They are the principles of unselfish love. They are the principles of God's government. They are actually the constitution of God's government, and that is what we receive by faith. That righteousness, that love, that actually can answer the demands of the law because by nature we are egocentric, we're selfish, and God wants to transform and change our lives. Because I know in the Bible it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Amen. So basically we don't have any righteousness. We have Bible. none that can answer the demands of the law because of the weakness of the flesh. Wow. Yeah, so that's right. I mean, I, I've been a Christian for, what, 25 years now, and I know, mm. you know, from personal experience, the guilt, frustration, and sadness that comes in, the, you know, being a Christian when sin seems to be the rule rather than the exception. Mm. You know, so I'll, I'll ask you another question. What is sin? 
okay. to, to, to the Bible? What does the well, Bible say sin is? Look, that is a such an important question, and we've got to make sure we get that answer right in the Scriptures because if you get that wrong, you're going to, you're going to fall to pieces in a lot of other aspects of your theology. So understanding and righteousness and understanding sin. Understanding sin, what they are, yes. So the clearest definition we have in the Bible, we actually find in the epistle of John. That's the first epistle of John, so that's towards the end of the Bible. Let me just page there and we'll, we'll get to it. And it's First John chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 4. Now I'll read from the New King James, and then I'll tell you what the King James says. Uh, Verse 4 says, For whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, the King James says, Whoever commits sin also transgresses the law, and sin is the transgression of the law. So that is the clearest definition we have in regards to what sin is. If you want to know what sin is, you've got to look at the law of God. The law of God are the principles of righteousness, the principles of love, and anything that doesn't measure up is classed as sin. So, so breaking God's law, okay, is sin. Is sin, yeah, and that text should actually make it very clear. It's lawlessness. It is transgression of the law. For example, if you were to take the law out of the way, sin would cease to exist. The law is 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 the means by which we understand that we are sinners and right. that we need a savior. And if you go to Romans chapter four, we're going to go Romans chapter four. So, what you're saying is, so the law defines what sin is. That's right, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. So if you if you bring any other definition contrary to the word of God, it is a pseudo-definition. It's, okay. It's, it's not the right definition. Now, if you take the law out of the way, if the law defines what sin is, if you take the law out of the way, then you also remove what sin is. And I uh, I look at the text that we have in the gospel, well, not the gospel, it's the epistle of Romans, sorry. Yes. The epistle of Romans, Romans chapter 4 and verse 15. It says, therefore, where there is no law, there is no transgression. So in other words, you know, transgression there are some is committing sin, isn't it? Transgression, yes. Sin is the transgression of the law, as the King James says. Yes. So if you take the law out of the way, there's no sin. In other words, there are some gospels out there who that may say that Jesus has come to take away the law. It's done away. I've heard that many times. Yeah. Certain Christians have said uh, the Lord's been done away with. That's right. So what the Bible says, if the Lord's been done away with, so does sin's been done away That's with. That's right. So why would you need a savior? Well, if there's, there's no, no savior, there's, and there's no savior, there's no what? No grace. That's right. You don't need grace anymore because the law's been done away with. Okay. So I would propose to people that Jesus didn't come to take away the law. He came to fulfill the law. Well, he said that, didn't he? Yeah. I do not think I've come to destroy, destroy the, the law or come, the prophets. I've come to fulfill it. In other words, mm. I've come to keep it. That's right. Because Yes, because and, I remember in... Um, in uh, I think in Psalms he says, "Thy law is written on my heart." It talks about this future Messiah. It says, "God's law will be written on His heart." Mm, yeah, I delight in I delight in the law of God. That's right. Now, there's also another thing that Jesus says. I'm just going to go to Matthew before because we'll go back to Romans, but I want to go to Matthew chapter five because Jesus' teachings, and that's the teachings that we want to have in our lives as well. The, the teachings of Jesus are very important, but Jesus' teachings regarding the law is very important, and we need to take a notice of that. Now, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Jesus says, and we just quoted it before, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. And then he he elaborates on what he means. He says, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So while there's still a heaven 
and there's still an earth, not one jot or one tittle. So that is the dotting of an I or the crossing of the T within the writings of the law will pass away till all be fulfilled. So while heaven and earth remain, the law remains. That's what Jesus is saying. So the Ten Commandments still remain. Amen. All ten of them or just nine out of ten? Well, I would say it's the whole commandment because, I mean, the importance of it is brought out even by the book of James. He says that if you offend in one of the commandments, you're guilty of all. There you go. So you can't take any of the commandments away. They're, they're a whole. And uh, look, Jesus even elaborates further in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments. So that answers your question there, Colin. Breaks one of the least of these commandments. And not only breaks them, but teaches men so. So this is now not talking about the transgressors of the law. It's also about the teachers of the law. And teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is clearly explaining the law there, the importance of it, and the perpetuity of the, the law. It is more enduring than heaven and earth. So, so when so when John talks back, we we're just talking back in John chapter First uh, John chapter uh, three two, and four. Yeah, and, yeah. and verse First uh, John chapter two verse twenty eight when he says, "Now little children abide in Him, that when He appears, this is when Jesus returns. Yes, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. So it's talking about His second coming. Yes, yes. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. So it's saying that. Those who are remaining to Jesus will be practicing righteousness or obeying God's law. Amen. That's, that's exactly what it is saying. So they'll be uh, they'll be like Jesus when He comes. That's what it's saying there. But you know, even in that same verse there in Matthew chapter five, the verse twenty, straight after the first three we just quoted, yeah. Jesus says to him, "For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven." So this pseudo-righteousness that the scribes and the Pharisees had wasn't good enough. It seems like it was external, it not wasn't internal. That's right. And, and, and the says, heart was not renewed, but externally they appear to be obedient and righteous and pious people. So it also says in the Bible, I've noticed, says that no one is righteous mm. except for God and Jesus. Yes. So therefore, if he is the only one who's righteous, then how do we receive those, that righteousness? And we're going to talk about that today. You know, there's some Bible texts that I read that... You know, I've read that it, I go, wow, they seem to, the standard seems high. The, st- the standard is very high. It's higher than we can imagine. Yeah. And like in Romans mm. chapter 6, verse 6, it says that knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, mm. obviously crucified with Jesus, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So what's that talking about? Okay. Look, that's very important. The, the, the gospel is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, it requires death because it says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. Now, we know that Jesus was the only one who could actually die for our sins. He could take his, our sins upon him and yet be resurrected because he, he committed no sin. We, if we had to die for our own sins, we'd be, we, would, we would die and that would be it. Mm. There'd be no resurrection. But through Christ, we can receive eternal life. But when Christ died, we were crucified with him. And the reason for that is that the body of sin may be destroyed, that our old man will be crucified so that we can be raised to newness of life. Is that talking about self, that, dying that, to self? That is talking about self. Yes, it is. So if we can reconcile ourselves to the death of Christ by faith, we can also reconcile ourselves to the resurrection of Christ. So when the old man is crucified, there's more than that. There's also a new man. And then uh, as the old man was crucified with Christ, the new man is also raised by Christ. But the old man... 
is crucified that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be enslaved by sin or serve sin as slaves to it. And, and I think it talks about uh, flesh. Yes, it's talking about the flesh. Being serve, serving the flesh where the new man is through the spirit. Amen. Yeah, maybe we should unpack what the Bible means when it refers to flesh. Yes. Flesh is actually talking about our fallen human nature. So we have a sinful nature. We have, yeah, we have a fallen nature. That's what we inherit from Adam. Yes. So from when our parents and their parents are going right back. You're going right back through to Adam. So when Adam had children, he'd already sinned, both yes. him and Eve. They could only pass on what they had, which was a spiritually dead uh, genetic code. Yes. We were physically alive. We made physically alive through him. But you'll see that Adam was created in the likeness and the image of God. And if you go to Genesis chapter 5 then, it says that Adam had children in his own likeness and image. But that was after he'd sinned. So he only passed on that uh, corrupted seed, which was weak in the mind. In other words, when Adam and Eve were created, the mind, which is the higher power, actually had full control over the appetites of the flesh. Mm. What they saw, what they ate, what felt good, that was all under the control of reason and all under the control of righteous reason. We as fallen human beings now have inherited that flesh, but the, the mind, nature. the fallen nature, but the mind is weak. So it okay. becomes a slave to the appetites of the flesh. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, as we read in First John chapter 2. Those things now control the mind. So we are enslaved by it. Is and that what it means by then what you're saying is is that's the, that's the old man. That is the old man. That needs to be crucified Amen. with Christ. That's right. Okay. So that old man cannot attain to righteousness. doesn't matter how hard he tries. Yep. That old man's righteousness is filthy rags. But if that old man dies, then what happens is we are raised into newness of life by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel power. Is that being, and that's what Jesus said by being born again. Absolutely, by being born again. Born of what, though? Water and the Spirit. Because before he was saying you're born of the flesh. He yes. says you need to be born again to inherit the kingdom of God, didn't he? That's right. Well, he's talking to Nicodemus, wasn't he, he's saying priest, that you need yeah. to be born again. And then he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Yes. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. But we have to be born of the Spirit. So that is the newness of life we receive. We receive the life of Christ because the Holy Spirit actually brings Christ to us that represents Christ. It doesn't speak of himself as we've studied in previous lessons. I love it. I love it. Mm. So so that's what it means by we crucifying him, crucified with him. And it, I think Paul also says it's not I that live anymore, didn't he? But Christ lives in me. That's right. So who's living in Paul now? Christ. Now is Christ righteous? 100%. So if Christ is living in you, are you righteous? You have to be. As long as self is dead, yes. Because if if you if you've been married to Christ, because I mean the relationship with with with, with Christ is actually uh, symbolized by marriage in the Bible. In Romans chapter seven, it talks about marriage and it talks about the first husband and the second husband. The second husband is very clear if you look at it. There, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Yes. The first husband is our fallen human nature. That's our default position. We're born with that. The flesh. Yeah. So, but the flesh, there's a law. He says, "There's a law in my flesh, a law in my members, striving against the law of my mind." So, this is a person now that knows the law. He's given his heart to the Lord, but the flesh is not dead. So, he hasn't denied self completely. Oh, okay. And the law of the first husband, which is the law of sin and death, rules over him. So, all the good things that he wants to do, he can't do, yes. and all the bad things he doesn't want to do, the things that he hates, those are the things that he does. I think Paul calls him a carnal Christian. That yes. he's living by the flesh, flesh. claiming Christ, but mm. still living by the flesh. And so what we want to do is be a spirit-filled uh, Christian, we and do. we want to die 
or be crucified with Christ. With so Christ. it's not I that live, yeah. but Christ that lives in us. Christ's death is our death. Christ's life is our life. And we receive that by faith. And I guess is that what, what Paul means in Romans chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, where he says, Likewise, reckon yourself also to be dead indeed unto sin, mm. but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on to say, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So again, mm. it's, it's saying the same thing here. Amen. Yes. Look, and all those verses in Romans chapter 6 are an encouragement for us if we receive them by faith. Because it, it can be a discouragement. Well, I mean, if you don't I want to believe it, it's yeah. going to be a big discouragement. Yeah, I used to read and say, well, this sounds impossible. Mm. You know, I, I must admit, I used to read this and say, this seems impossible. It's the standard is high, but the thing is, we cannot attain to it. We just, we've got to bring that so clear in our mind that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why we need to die to self. The demands of the law is death to the sinner. When Christ died, we died with him. We need to take self out of the way. Self is the biggest liability there would be. And our warfare will be with self. And we don't believe in one saved, always saved. We believe we come to the Lord and we need to receive baptism daily. We need to die to self daily. But Romans chapter 6 verse 7 says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. So the first point, though, yeah. what do you have to do to be free? You need to die. That's the tough part, isn't yeah. it? Because... Our natural sinful nature doesn't want to die to self, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't want to be crucified. So we're talking about a spiritual death here, just in case people misunderstood what we're saying. Yes. We are reconciling ourselves to the death of Christ on the cross. Although it was 2,000 years ago, it can be a present thing in our own experience with the Lord. And again, again, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, mm. for we are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. What so, does that mean? Well, what that means is... That the grace of God is more powerful than sin And being under the law means under the condemnation of the law It can even mean under the works of the law Because those who are under the works of the law Trying to attain righteousness by their own works Their righteousness is filthy rags That's why self has to die Self has to get out of the way So we can receive the perfect righteousness of Christ by faith You know, and other ones like We go back to that 1 John chapter 3 Amazing chapter where it says in verse 9 Whoever's been born of God So if you've been born of God Does not sin Mm. For his seed remains in him And he cannot sin because he has been born of God So living by the Spirit and Jesus living through you That is the the key to all this, isn't it? Amen And the thing is, it, it talks about those who have been born of God So the new birth is essential But the new birth doesn't happen if there's a, not a death first It has to be a death first Yeah, so, you know, that's why baptism and baptism by immersion is so important Because that's the only true symbol of being reconciled to God's Christ's death As you are immersed under the water, so plunge right under there You died yourself like You've been buried Yes yeah? You hold your breath, there's a cessation of life, you hold your breath, so that symbolizes, symbolizes death. And then, as you come out of the watery grave, you are raised to newness of life. And the water, obviously, the washing is, is a symbolism of being washed free from your sins because of the death okay. that we receive through Christ. And then, of course, the new life because of so the, the resurrection. Baptism represents the death and the resurrection. And then it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you're born again and have the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Jesus living in you through the Holy Spirit. That's right. It, it's all good news. And I, and I love what it, it says in. You know, First John chapter 3, uh, verse 4, we're talking about whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, mm. and sin is lawlessness. So it's defining that sin is a transgression of God's law. But I love verse 5. And you know that he, talking about Jesus, yes. was manifested, and actually he became a man, yes. to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Mm. So then, then it goes on, whoever abides in him does not sin, because... Christ has taken away the sin Because he doesn't sin Hmm. If Christ is living in you He will seek out to keep God's law Which is the opposite of 
mm. sin, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, Christ came to take away a sin, and it was taken away through death. And if we died with him, then we are crucified with Christ. It's no longer us that lives, but Christ that lives in us. And this is just such an important teaching. He came to take away our sins. He is a savior from sin, not in our sins. And I, I sometimes get a little bit concerned when people take a subjective view of the gospel because mm. we've all been there. We've all tried to do the right thing and we haven't been able to find it. Yes. And then based on experience, we now want to reinterpret the scripture. What we have to do is we've got to understand the power of God, the creative power of God, that when he speaks and he commands something, it happens. It stands fast. Does that take faith, though? Absolutely. Because, you know, let's be honest, we look at our own lives, and I look at my past life. I, I can't speak for you, yeah. but I can speak for my past life, and I'm sure many you know, our listeners can, can relate to this, mm. that when we look at our past lives, we don't really see anything good, Edian. We see this no. constant, you know, uh, actually, you know, falling. Yes, and um, but their promise is, if we believe by faith in Christ righteous, that not only He's paid the penalty for our sins, mm. and, and you know we would use terminology like justification, but He also imparts His righteousness, or so that He can live and dwell in us. And God so, wants that intimate so that relationship we can obey God us. and keep the law. Yes, Amen. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Which is the new covenant, isn't it? It is the new covenant, yes. Which has been available because mm. of Christ's death on the cross. It talks about, Paul talks about in Hebrews chapter 8. Mm. He says in Hebrews 8 and 10, he says the new covenant is that God wants to uh, write his law on our mind and our hearts. Yes. Before he wrote it on stone. That's right. This time he wants to write it on our mind and hearts. And that means to me he's giving us a desire to obey him. Our, changing our heart. Yes, our relationship to the law changes through Christ. When it was written on tables of stone, it was the ministration of death to us because we cannot attain to that standard. But if we've died with Christ, we've been crucified with him, we've been raised to newness of life. You know, there's the text in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says that the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So we've been set free. We change Our relationship with the law changes in Christ. We receive it now Put into our minds, written in our hearts, and we live by those principles. You know, and you were just reading before there in First John chapter three, and that's a great, a great passage of scripture. But it says, "Little children," so this is First John chapter three and verse seven. Little children, let no one deceive you. So please, when 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 the Holy Spirit speaks through His apostles, and it says, "Do not make make sure that no one deceives you." We got to pay attention because there will be deception on this point. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he, being Christ, is righteous because Christ lives in them. We cannot practice righteousness apart from Christ. We well, the, cannot practice righteousness apart from Christ within us. Well, righteousness, according to the Bible, I, I read, uh, you know, we normally read Galatians 5.22 and we look at the fruit of the Spirit, which yes. is love, joy, peace, patience, temperance, uh-huh. long-suffering, etc. But also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is righteousness. Yes, it is. And, Amen. And, and godliness. Mm. So, so basically to receive that righteousness that's imparted to us, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's one of them. So you, you can see, though, that you know people have read these verses that we just read in Romans, Romans, for example, and First John three nineteen, that it can be um, discouragement if you don't understand sure. what it's like. I mean, I, I must admit, and I've also read, um, you know, some of the, um, you know, I'm talking about a struggling Christian here, mm. and we're all struggling. But I've also found, and we read in the writings of Ellen White, some things that are hard to. To understand. Yes. For example, in Christ's Object Lessons, page 338, okay. 30, what does it say there? Yes, it says moral perfection is required of all. Wow. 
Yeah, that is a big statement, isn't it? Never should we lower the standard of righteousness in order to accommodate inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrongdoing. Is that what you see maybe happening in, in the Christian world? Yeah. Is that what we've done? I've been there myself. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. What we want to do is excuse it because, because self is not dead. We struggle continually. So we need to ju- somehow we see the standard, but we don't we don't have the know how, or we don't have the how to how to. So, so therefore, we've almost invented another gospel. That's to, right. To placate ourselves to so that we feel okay about it. All. Uh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Yes. But you know, the conscience is never soothed, and there's never that that peace that God wants to give us that passes all understanding. But let's read on. It says there never should we lower the standard of righteousness in order to accommodate inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrongdoing. We need to understand that. Imperfection of character is sin. All righteous attributes of character dwell in God as a perfect, harmonious whole. And everyone who receives Christ as a personal Savior is privileged to possess these attributes. So how do we receive those attributes? By receiving Christ as personal Savior. And how do we receive Christ? How does Christ live in us? By faith. By By faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. As we read the Word of God and we read all these beautiful things about Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, we can attribute that by faith and expect God to do what He said He would do because we cannot do it of ourselves. And I guess that's what it means when Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, you know, we're changed from glory to glory, which Mm, God's glory is His character. We've got to keep on beholding. All these attributes are God's character of His righteousness. That's right. That we're changed from glory to glory or into the character of God Mm. or Christ by beholding Jesus. Amen. By spending time with Jesus. Yes, we need wisdom here to understand these things. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, Him being God the Father, who became for us. Is it that Jesus became for us wisdom from God and righteousness? And sanctification and redemption Four things there that we have from Christ He became those things for us And he wants to impart those things to us as a gift He authored all those things on our behalf And this is when we receive Christ We receive the whole package If we're accepted by faith If we have a partial faith We're only going to partially receive some of the benefits We want to receive all of Christ Jesus Dear listener, that was the first half of our program So we're going to go for a quick break And we'll come back after these short messages Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These things you will not despise, O God, a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51, 17. That was Broken and Contrite Heart. For more of her music, visit JacquelineJewel.com. Welcome back to You Shall Receive Power with Colin and Etienne. We're glad that you're still with us. And we are now continuing our study here on an introduction to righteousness by faith. And so far, Colin, we've looked at a very high standard in the Bible. We've looked at what sin is. We've touched on faith a little bit, and we've touched on righteousness. And 
that our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And while self is alive, that is the best we can do. It's never good enough. So self has to die. We've got to deny self, take up our cross daily, as Jesus says there in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and follow him. But, and, and, but self-denial is part of the process. That seemed to what, what I got out of you know this study is that we need to be crucified. Our old man has to be crucified with Christ. Mm. Or, or like Paul says, it's, Paul says, it's not either live anymore. But the Christ. old Paul was dead, mm, and so amen. this new Paul was Christ living in him. He says, "Not I live, that Christ liveth in me. me. Yes. The life I now live, I live unto the Son of God." So, so we've got through that, and you know, some of these statements can be very, very challenging. Mm. You know, we also read in the writings of Ellen White. Uh, again, here's another one from Desire of Ages, page one hundred twenty-three. It says, "The Prince of the World cometh," said Jesus, talking about Satan. And has nothing in me. This is in John chapter 14, verse 30. And then she goes on to say, There was in him nothing that responded to Satan's sophistry. Mm. He did not consent to sin, nor even by thought did he yield to temptation. But listen to this last part that she comments. She says, So it may be with us. Mm. Now, you know, you read that and you go, Wow, is that possible? Yeah. Is that possible? Because, you know, many people are saying it's, it's impossible. You know what? Of ourselves it is. And this is the thing. We've we got we to gotta ascend above human weakness. And the way we do it is not to try and grit our teeth and try harder. It's actually by surrender. It's by giving in, but to the mm. Lord, not to the sin. But many people have taken this and look at these things and say, well, mm. that's impossible. Let's, let's um, just you know, reinvent the gospel yeah, no. and just say. Uh, you but, know. you know, if it was possible for us, Colin, why would we need faith in a higher power? This is the thing. It is an impossibility for us. So don't think it's possible. If it was possible, you wouldn't need faith. You go and save yourself. Well, you wouldn't need and Jesus, we, would well, you? Well, that's right. You don't need Jesus. And the thing is, I'm not saying we don't need Jesus. Of course we need Jesus. But then if you think it through to its logical conclusion, if it was possible and you subjectively can look at your own experience and then come up with a theology, you actually are denying faith. That's really what, what, what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah. And what about this one? Manuscript page 161, written in 1897 by Ellen White. She Mm. says, He who has not sufficient faith in Christ to believe that he can keep him from sinning has not the faith that will give him an entrance in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm sure a lot of people will have a problem with that statement, uh, Edian, but let's just unpack it. Again, it says, He who has not sufficient faith in Christ. Mm. So what's the first step? You have to have faith in Christ. Faith in Jesus. Yeah. The power of God and the wisdom of God. To yep. believe that he can keep him from sinning. So whose role is it to keep us from sinning, according to just what she's commented? It's Christ through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that he yeah. can keep him from sinning. Hmm. Has not the faith that will give him an entrance in the kingdom of God. There's a pretty serious um, you know, statement there. Yes. And so I guess you know, for many people, Eddie, and you know, again, again, d- discouragement can set in. Mm. And that a victorious life that the Bible and the spirit of prophecy appear to call, they basically just said they, they call Christian seems impossible to attain. Yes. And, you know, and it's, sometimes it's really easy to begin reasoning. Perhaps such statements about victory are simply an ideal mm. that the Christian has strived to attain. You know, yes. that we've got, this is the ideal. But you know, God knows it's actually impossible to live this kind of victorious life, and he covers us with the righteousness of Christ. After all, what else could he say? I mean, Edin, he certainly cannot condone sinful behavior, and the only kind of life he can tell the Christian or call the Christian is one of complete obedience. Mm. And so, you know, you can see how people can go down this road. Yes. And say, well, this is impossible. And the Bible's saying that in the spirit of prophecy, but this is impossible. 
And so we just reasoned that, you know, God's just saying this to, you know. Yeah. Look, I think the gospel is something that we've got to dis- study and discover. We, we shouldn't create our own gospel because that will be a humanistic gospel. We've got to take the Bible at face value and read it as it is. You know, if it's, if it's definitely not symbolic and it's a literal interpretation of it, I think that is the way to read the, the Bible. When Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, he meant exactly what he said. And love is the fulfilling of the law. But just a comment in regards to being discouraged, you know, and finding that, you know, your own experience doesn't measure up. If people would only get completely discouraged in their own own abilities Mm. and therefore lay it on the altar, lay it on the cross, die with Christ so that self is denied and self is taken out of the way, that is really the way to go. I believe the gospel, fully understood, lays the glory of man in the dust. He who humbles himself... You know, will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be abased, the Bible says. We need to humble ourselves, let God exalt us, let the glory and the righteousness of Christ be evident in our lives. Absolutely. You know, Christians of past generations, you know, the Lord has given us many examples in both the Bible Mm. and the history of individuals who have learned the lessons in life as they struggled to enter this victorious life the Bible calls them to attain. So the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy is making it clear as. Yes. Okay. But what we want to know is how. Mm. And I, I love what they've written. Maybe this could help you. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, St. Paul tells us that these things happen for our examples. Yes. And I want to talk about an example of, of a missionary in China in 19th century called J. Hudson Taylor. He was a well-known missionary in China. And, you know, Taylor talked about he experienced this frustration and confusion and discouragement at the beginning of his service for the Lord. Mm. At the age of 37, he shared his most inner feelings with his mother in a letter. And when we read this letter, he reads of his feelings of failure and defeat he felt because of his inability to be faithful to his Lord in all things. And this is what he wrote. My own position becomes continually more and more responsible and my need greater of special grace to fill it. But I have continually to mourn that I follow at such a distance and learn so slowly to imitate my precious master. I cannot tell you how I am buffeted sometimes by temptation. I never knew how bad a heart I had. Yet I do know that I love God and love his work and desire to serve him only in all things. Mm. And I value above all things that precious Savior in whom alone I can be accepted. Often I am tempted to think that one so full of sin cannot be a child of God at all. But I try to throw it back and rejoice all the more in the preciousness of Jesus and in the riches of that grace that has made us accepted in the beloved. Beloved, he is of God. Beloved, he ought to be of us. Mm. But oh, how short I fall here again. May God help me to love him more and serve him better. Do pray for me. Pray that the Lord will keep me from sin, will sanctify me wholly, will use me more largely in his service. Mm. Now, that's what he wrote. Now, John McCarthy, a fellow missionary in China, wrote to Taylor a letter describing a recent understanding he had come to concerning victory over temptation through Christ. Okay. And this is what he wrote in the letter McCarthy wrote to Taylor. He said this, To let my loving Savior work in me, his will, my sanctification, is what I would live for by his grace. Abiding, not striving or struggling, uh, Yes. looking... Unto him, trusting him for present power, Mm. resting in the love of an almighty Savior, in the joy of complete salvation from all sin. This is not new, and yet it is new to me. Mm. I feel as though the dawning of a glorious day has risen upon me. I hail it with trembling, yet with trust. 
I seem to have got to the edge only, but of a boundless sea, to have sipped only, but of that which fully satisfies. And here he says it. Christ literally all seems to me now the power, the only power for service, the only ground for unchanging joy. Mm. May he lead us into the realization of his unfathomable fullness. Not striving to have faith, but looking after the faithful one seems all we need. Are resting in the loved one entirely for time and for eternity. What a beautiful letter. Beautiful letter. That he responded. And so I see God use his letter to open Taylor's eyes to the wonderful truth of abiding in Christ. Mm. And abiding in him, abiding in us. Yes. The truth of this mystery of the believer's union with Christ. And I believe from that day forward, Taylor's walk with God was one of peace, Mm. rest and victory in Christ. And this amazing change could be seen by his colleagues in the ministry who said later on, they looked out and said, Mr. Taylor went out a new man in the new world mm. to tell what the Lord has done for his soul. And, and then Taylor writes to his sister this another letter and explains this wonderful truth he discovered and the marvelous experience he was having with the Lord. Do you want to read that to us? What? Sure. So this is now Taylor subsequent to that letter from McCarthy, which encouraged yes. him and showed him the experience with the Lord. Yeah. It says, as to work, mine has never been so plentiful, so responsible, or so difficult, but the weight and strain are all gone. Hmm. Wow, what a statement. The last month or more have been perhaps the happiest of my life, and I long to tell you a little of what the Lord has done for my soul. I do not know how far I may be able to make myself intelligible about it, for there is nothing new or strange or wonderful, and yet all is new. In a word, whereas once I was blind, now I see. So keep going. What do, okay. what, what do you say? When my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from dear McCarthy was used to remove the scales from my eyes. And the Spirit of God revealed the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known it before. McCarthy, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote... And he says, I quote from memory, but how to get faith strengthened, not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. Praise God. As I read, I saw it. If we believe not, he abide a faithful. I looked to Jesus and saw, and when I saw, oh, how joy flowed. I thought, I have striven in vain to rest in him. I strive no more, for he has not promised to abide with him, never to leave me, never to fail me, and dearie, he never will. Wow. And so Taylor got it, didn't he? Yes, he did. It was abiding in Christ Mm. and resting in his faithfulness. But it's interesting, you know, unless we have the same experience, this will be some strange language to us. Yes, yes. We've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. And I like the fact that he actually says that it's not until he stopped striving and gave up, but the giving up was to God. He surrendered to the Lord that he experienced that abiding peace. I love it. And he went on his letter to describe how the Lord had opened up his understanding concerning Christ's words that he is the vine and the believers are the branches. Mm. He wrote, oh, the joy of seeing this truth. And this is what he wrote. He says, the sweetest part, if one may speak of one's part being sweeter than another, Mm -hmm. is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I am no longer anxious about anything. He wasn't anxious about anything anymore. As I realize for this, for he, I know, is able to carry out his will. And his will is mine. It makes no matter where he places me or how, 
that is rather for him to consider than for me, for in the easiest positions he must give me his grace, and in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. Mm, amen. I think Hudson and Taylor found the secret of victory in his walk with God. And great peace was you know, in all circumstances for the service of Christ. And you know what? Here's the good news. God offers to each of his children the same victory and peace. Yes. Uh, I don't know about you, Eddie, but do you desire such victory and peace? I know I do. Uh, absolutely. And I know that those listening, do you desire such victory and peace? And, and my prayer is that you will find this victory that is only found in Christ, mm. a joy that seems so impossible to attain before. And I believe that when the Christian discovers this glorious truth of Christ in us, yes, the hope of glory, Amen. you'll follow the similar path of their fellow travelers. They have accepted Christ as their Savior, mm. number one, but they were burdened. So they accepted Christ as Savior, but they were burdened and bewildered by their Christian walk that was so sporadic. Mm. And maybe you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're bewildered by your Christian walk that it's so sporadic yes. in obedience and unfruitful service. And they, they longed for this consistent faithful walk with their Lord, but they never found it. They struggled mm. with their besetting sins, but the sins seemed to win the battle. Yes, Maybe you feel that and you're experiencing that. They prayed, they studied their Bibles, but they didn't seem to bring the victory they longed for. Mm. And after perhaps years of struggle, they came to the point of despair and weariness. Their sense of failure was overwhelming. And this life of continual victory over sin seemed impossible to attain. Yes. Then one day, they discovered the reality of this mystery of union with Christ, Christ living in them. Mm. And once they discovered this, they were amazed at how simple this marvelous truth was. Yet it has eluded their understanding for years, and it's eluded many Christians for many years. Yes. Look, I didn't know this when I was baptized, you know, um, 35 years ago now. It's not until later that I discovered this, and all of a sudden the peace this of God flooded truth my heart. It's the truth of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Mm, amen. And, and, and after this scrubber, your life is never the same. Mm, it's true. Their joy in the Lord was deep and abiding. Their life was now consistently victorious, even over besetting sins. Mm. They no longer felt burdened or anxious in their service for the Lord. They weren't worried about wherever they were, and their service became the most fruitful for the Lord. Yes. So let's talk about this simple or yet elusive truth. And here it is. The truth is, Edian, hmm. there's no righteous in this earth except for the righteousness of Christ. Amen. You just hmm. got to come to that realization. That's right. There's no righteousness in this earth except the righteousness of Christ. Hmm. And that Jesus has provided both justifying and sanctifying righteousness. Jesus is the complete package. Amen. He's given it both. Yes. Now, a lot of people have just rested in the first part, but they haven't got the second part. Hmm. So Jesus... Right provides both justifying and sanctifying righteousness for believing Christians. Christ's justifying righteousness and substitutionary death frees us from the guilt and penalty of sin. Very important points. So not only from the guilt, but also from the penalty of sin. Yes, mm. he's freed us from that. So, But not only that, Christ's sanctifying righteousness enables the believer to live a life in obedience to God. And how? As he learns how to let Christ live out his righteousness in and through him, how to experience to the fullest Christ's abiding presence. Amen. So Christ is a savior from not only the penalty and the guilt of sin, but also from the power of sin. Yes. Which his, so his sanctifying or imparted righteousness will enable us to live a life of obedience to God 
And the only way you can do that is how you learn to let Christ live out his righteousness. Mm. Remember? His righteousness in and through us. Mm. How to experience this abiding presence of Christ. So the truth of abiding in Christ and his abiding in us and how we to experience the victorious Christian life is so simple, yet it's so elusive that most Christians have never discovered it to the fullest. They just haven't. Yeah, that's true. And today, God, I believe, is calling us to this amazing experience in Christ. Mm. Why? Why do you think he's bringing this truth out? Because Jesus is coming soon. Amen. And all those who are ready to meet him will be just like him. Remember in 1 John 3, 2. That's right. You just read it before, yeah. Those who are ready to meet Jesus will be just like, like Jesus. Yeah, they will see him as he is. That's and the right. reason they're just like Jesus because it is Jesus mm. living his life in and through, or living out his life and his righteousness in and through them. Yeah, what a close Union between us, fallen, erring human beings, and our Savior. Amen. Mm. And their daily experience will have to become one of complete victory in Christ, mm. if that will be just like Jesus when he comes. Therefore, this wonderful biblical truth is of no small consequence to Christians living in our day. Jesus is coming soon, and I believe he's calling us to a much higher experience with him than most have ever had. Yes. And, and so this abiding and experiencing Christ in us, the hope of glory— is called the mystery of the gospel. It is the mystery. That's right. And you know that um, in the book of Revelations, let's look it up this, in Revelations chapter 10, verse 7, right? It talks about the seventh angel is about to sound mm. and the seventh trumpet. And this is announced just before Jesus returns. So this is just before Jesus returns. Right. Okay. It says, let's read it what it says. Just it's, before Jesus returns, This is going to be revealed. It says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared it to his servants, the prophets. Wow. So just before Jesus comes, the mystery of God will be revealed, all right, Mm. to the well. Yeah, that's what it's saying. Yeah. And so when this truth is understood and discovered, the believer will proclaim from the depths of his heart, Christ's did it all. Amen. The deliverance Christ gives lays all man's boasting in the dust. Mm. That's what isn't it that what Paul says in First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty nine to thirty one? It says, And no flesh should glory in his presence, mm. but of him you are in Christ, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And what is this mystery of the gospel found in Colossians verse 127? It is Christ in us, our hope of glory. That's it. That's the only hope of glory. That union with Christ. I mean, what a privilege. You know, when when I came to the Lord, uh, not the first time or the second time, but probably around the third because I've sort of come to the Lord in cycles and then I've sort of fallen away and come back to the Lord. Mm. I think it was the third time I discovered this truth and the close intimate relationship with the Lord, the love, the joy, the peace that comes with this uh, connection with God, I didn't even know was on offer. It's not until I experienced it that I actually saw in the scripture what was actually meant. But it's because I was desperate. I had been sinning and failing and sinning and failing. Sounds and like you were the man in Romans chapter 7. I could relate to that because I knew the law, and I knew that the law and the commandments were holy and just and good, but I had no ability to, to attain to it. And I would grit my teeth and try harder. I would even pray and I'd you know, read, read my Bible, Bible, but I didn't have the understanding. Therefore, I didn't have the faith to rely on Christ fully and not on myself. You know, 
many times um, over the, you know, especially over the last 150 years, uh, and even throughout the centuries, this message mm. has come to God's people. Yes, and and it's come to God's people, but sometimes there's been a twist on it. Mm-hmm. In the past, uh, certain people have come with this. This is what we need to achieve and believe, and they've tried through their own efforts to achieve it. They've, they've, they've presented the standard, but they haven't presented the the faith component and the power of God and the power of His Word. Yeah, they've basically yeah. said we need to do this on our own. Mm. We need to achieve this, which is we're going to talk about this, which is by their own efforts. Well, their righteousness is like filthy rags. You can't do it. You know, when I learned this truth, Edian, it was just like liberating because I too was like the man in Romans chapter seven. Mm. Things I want to do, I don't want to, I didn't do. And the things I don't want to do, I kept on doing. Right, yes. You know, it wasn't until I, I read Romans 8 and understood this truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory, mm. and his righteousness. He's the only one righteous, and he'll give that to us. Yes. And, and it he, is a supernatural process. Yeah. We cannot do it of ourselves. That's why we need faith. Mm. That's right. And so keeping the God's commandments, which people say it's impossible to keep God's commandments, but Christ kept the God's commandments. Amen. So yes. if he's living in us, won't he seek to keep God's commandments? Of course he will. You can't separate obedience or righteousness from Christ. That's right. The Lord is our righteousness. You know, and, and I quite often think that we, even as much as we see in the Bible, and as you study and you grow in grace and grow in knowledge, and uh, the, the Bible says we are to grow up into the stature and the fullness of Christ. You know, it says that in Ephesians chapter 4, that we come to a unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. Now, but in, in Ephesians, that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Hmm. So in other words, God can do more than we can think of and even more than we ask for. And we've got some big things to ask of the Lord at times, but he can do so much greater than that. It says we ask or think according to the power that works in us. This power is the power of recreation, regeneration, and God is able to perform a task in us He's already demonstrated in Jesus That is impossible for us to perform And you mentioned there before in the lesson Colin About Jesus being the vine And we are to be grafted into the vine You know, um, John chapter 15 and verse 5 Jesus says I am the vine You are the branches Now quite often we think we're the vine And we're going to try in our own righteousness But it doesn't work that way We are merely grafted in We are the branches He who abides in me And I in him so Christ in us and us in Christ, so there's mm. that, that close intimate connection, says bears much fruit. Now, if we disconnect it from the, from the vine as a branch, we can't bear any fruit whatsoever. And then Jesus makes this beautiful statement. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit without but, Christ living in you. That's right. Yes. It's, it's, it's incredible. Now, even in verse 4, if we had to step back, it says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. In other words, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Yes. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I really, we should imprint that. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. And so how does Christ abide in us? By faith. Through faith? Yeah, by but, grace through faith, yes. But is it is it not through the Holy Spirit? Oh, amen. Yes, yes, I see what you mean. Yeah. Absolutely. So he abides in us through the Holy Spirit. Mm. We abide him through the word and prayer. That's right. Okay, and by surrender, but he abides in us through the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need a daily fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit because Paul says if I die daily, guess what? We need to have Christ 
live in us daily. Daily as well. That's right. We need to be filled in full daily. And you know, that text that you quote quite often, they're not to be drunk with dissipate with wine, which is a dissipation, in but Ephesians. to be filled, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is a continuous filling of the Holy Spirit. So as we were given to the Lord this morning through prayer and consecration, so through the day that is to continue as well, continuously being filled with the Spirit of God. You know, uh, the book, the Gospel of John, actually refers to Jesus as the Word mm. and uh, talks about the power of God's Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and then the Word created all things, and then the Word became flesh. So we receive Christ through his Word, like he was saying before. Yes. But Jesus says there, in regards to the truth and the truth being able to set us free, he says to his disciples and to those who believed, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So how are we disciples? By abiding in the word of Jesus. And if we do that, then he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And also, remember David said, if Jesus is the word, and David says, thy word is thy Thy word is on my heart that I may not sin, sin against, against you. you. Amen. See, there's the secret again by having the word Christ abiding in the heart. And how does Christ abide in the heart? Right? The word? By the word, yes. By the, he is the word. Mm. It's through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for that, Colin. We're just going to take a break and share our contact details with you. If you want to give us any feedback or you want a copy of the book that we're using, uh, 50 Days Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Soon Return. And there's also some other books which we may share with you at some other stage. There's one, for example, by Dennis Smith, which you can also find at your ABC. It's called Spirit Baptism and Abiding in Christ. That's a good little book, and we'll encourage you to get a copy. They're not very expensive either. Um, so if you go to your ABC, contact your local ABC Adventist Book Center, you'll be able to get a copy of these books. We'll be back right after the short message. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249-73-3456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to You Shall Receive Power. We're just uh, closing off our study today, and that was a very powerful study, Colin. The standard is higher than we can even think. Matter of fact, even if we ask or th think to ask things of the Lord, God has so much more that he can give us. And that is such an encouragement to know that by surrender to the Lord, we'll be able to obtain the victory through Jesus Christ by faith. Now, we looked at what sin was. We looked at what righteousness was. We also looked at what we are to experience by surrender to Christ, by receiving him, Christ in us, our hope of glory, as we look forward to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So, Colin, any closing remarks from you? I think what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, he just said, ask. Mm. Six times he says, ask, seek. And he says, what is he saying, ask for? Ask for the Holy Spirit. Amen. When you ask for the Holy Spirit, you're asking for Christ to live out his life in and through you. So, you know, I really uh, encourage uh, the listeners to, to ask Christ to abide in your heart. Ask daily for the baptism of the Holy Spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory, mm. and rest in that. Ask for his righteousness. And as you continually do that, as you abide in him, as you behold him, he will change you. Remember, he will change you yes. into the likeness of Jesus, into his image. And all you've got to do is surrender 
and ask. Mm. And it reminds me of the beautiful text about, you know, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. And then once you get to about verse 12 and verse 13 and so on, it says there that it is God who works in you both to will, so first of all to have the desire, and then the second, the ability to do according to his good pleasure. It's all about him. Amen. It's all about Jesus. And I pray that God will bless you, that Jesus will dwell in your hearts by faith as well, that you'll receive the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit in your love, love, joy, peace, faith, gentleness, meekness. And righteousness. And righteousness. We look forward to catching up with you next time as we unpack more about righteousness by faith in our subsequent programs. God bless you. Until then. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.